Welcome to my Grand Slam Journey podcast. I decided to do a fun podcast experiment about four months ago. And due to live happening, I finally recorded my first episode with my friend and doubles partner, Juliana Gates. Juliana grew up in San Diego playing tennis. We met playing 10K tournaments in Mexico in 2007. And since then, we kept in touch visiting each other now and then, and sometimes planning fun activities, such as hiking the Half Dome this summer. During this podcast, we explore the beginnings of our tennis journeys, what it takes to be a professional tennis player, and tricks around mental toughness. We talk about the benefits of slowing down, visualization, productive versus unproductive thoughts, and awareness of our thoughts. We also explore how to rewire our brain to improve productivity and the power of reframing. Hope you enjoy the listen. What got you into tennis and uh, how would you reminisce on your tennis journey? Well, that's a big question. Okay, when I first played, I, the first time I ever played, I remember I was in preschool and they, it was just part of one of the activities. They had the peewee net the little peewee racket and basically I'm just volleying trying to hit the, the foam balls. That was my first memory. Um, I remember it was fun. I was trying to hit the foam balls once, you know, they had it in that school year. And then I didn't think about it much until later when my dad took me out. That's the first time I, I would say that I actually like tried to play. This is like after my parents had divorced and it was just something he could do with me. So he took me out and tried to like play around teach me a little bit but he didn't know much he was just a club player he played he picked it up way later in life just socially so he wasn't like really good or anything but he could hit a little bit so that was my first time I think I I must have been nine because my parents divorced when I was eight and then where I live with my mom there's the court so and he took me to the court so yeah that was probably the first time I hit so it was a happy memory yeah and then slowly you know time passed I didn't play again until maybe a few years later, like my dad was a member at a, got a country club nearby. And then I think I took a lesson from one of the lady coaches once or twice. And then trying to remember how I, I remember taking a semi-private lesson with a girl and I don't remember how I met her. My mom was friends with her mom or something. At that time I was playing like soccer, taekwondo and playing tennis once a week. But definitely, I would say that coach had a bigger influence in me playing more. I think it was my mom. She didn't know much about tennis, so she like started bringing me to more clinics. But I was having fun. And so then I was like doing like a clinic and a lesson each week for a little bit. And then it was when I was 12 and a half, I played a round robin tournament in Coronado. And I won it. I got first place. <laughs> Wow. I, I beat my friend. Um, she was like at two grades above me. She'd gone to the same school as me and she was like crying. She was so upset. And I didn't understand what happened. I was just playing. I didn't even know like I won because, you know, at the end they add up all the games. So yeah. I was like, dude, dude, I was just having fun playing. And like, also like, Oh, first place. And then they give her a second. And she starts crying. And I was like, so I remember I was just confused. I was like, what? Like, this was fun. Why, why is she crying? Like what? <laughs> I didn't really get the concept. I'm like, Oh, I won the tournament, the round Robin. It was a little tournament. So I remember like, wow, cool. I won a tournament. <laughs> like, and then I played one and I remember at the YMCA. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I think was the next one I played. And then I think I won that one too. Wow. Then, your first two tournaments, two wins. Yeah, I think so. And then, yeah, and then I remember the coach saying like to my mom, she could be really good at tennis or like she should, or she should just focus on one thing because she's doing soccer, taekwondo and tennis. And it was true. Like even at that point, I was probably going to pick one thing anyway. I had done taekwondo since I was like seven. Looking back though, you wonder like, oh, wow. I wonder if I would have stuck with taekwondo if I would have gone to the Olympics because I'd done the junior Olympics and that wow. instructor was that. basically gearing me to go to the Olympics. And I didn't know this till later. Like I didn't understand it. The adults really have such a big influence on your path. I don't know. I was just like influenced by these people that were telling me stuff that you're good at this and that. But I mean, I was, it was something I actually enjoyed. It wasn't like, I wasn't forced ever to go to Taekwondo. I was never forced to play tennis. It's just interesting. Interesting. Um, the environment that you're in yeah. you know, dictates what you end up choosing or whatever. My dad was a good dad, but he was not the one taking me to tennis. So this coach took over. He was almost like overbearing. And to the point, honestly, yeah, I've never like shared too much, but yeah, he was like verbally abusive. Later I could identify like, oh wow, that's why I had low self-esteem. Like a lot of belittling and negative, I would say reinforcement, but I got very good. I was top 15 in Southern California for three years. I played national tournaments. I got recruited. I mean, looking back, I'm like wishing I had explored the other school options. But anyway, like I got recruitment letters from UCLA, Columbia, Princeton. I had a, all straight A's in high school. But again, my dad had never been through that with scholarships, with sports and college. And he was busy with his own life. I would see him, but he didn't know how to take me through that process. Right. My mom didn't know. She grew up, she went to college in Mexico and law school in Mexico. Like I felt like I was just kind of on my own floating. But in the end, um, it was a mixture. It was a, you know, a lot of positive, I would say more positive than negative for sure. It taught me a lot of tools for anything in life, mental toughness, discipline, dedication to something, um, commitment and working towards something and then accomplishing it or meeting that goal. So yeah. it did teach me a lot about discipline and self-discipline because it is such an individual sport unless you're playing doubles all the time, which right. when you're a junior, that's not really usually a focus. So I think it helped me a lot in that aspect and helped me with my school because I was self-motivated, learned to do well in school. And that was always like normal to me. Yeah. I didn't realize like kids didn't do homework and kids didn't try in school. Like to me, I was like, I didn't understand that. And also parents did have obviously good values. They instilled and try your best and my dad was never like you have to get three days he was never that kind of stern parent but definitely he would say like oh wow you're getting three days that's great he would definitely bring it up so I always wanted to do well in school mm -hmm. and but yeah in the end I did my recruiting trips to um Purdue because I was looking at the top business schools at the time rewinding though it was definitely a lot of looking back a lot of the last three years of like high school instead of doing what other kids would have been doing on that weekend or spending more time with family, I was up with groups of tennis kids, like going up to LA playing tournaments. And because when you do well, you got to go up the next weekend because it's two yeah. weekends. And so it was a lot of time. I would say every other weekend I was playing tournaments for like a good three and a half years. 
that's just how it is. But yeah, then I, I did recruiting trips, Indiana, Purdue, San Diego State. I was never that kid that was rebelling. I never, there were a lot of kids like, oh, I can't wait to leave home. I was an only child. I, I liked my parents. I liked San Diego. I was really happy. So I never was like, I really want to leave San Diego. So then it naturally, I ended up choosing San Diego State because they were offering me a full ride. But then the unexpected happened, like my senior year of high school, right at the end after I said I would go, my dad had a stroke. That also got in my head thinking like, wow, life's so short. I had an opportunity to financial like sponsorship and to travel and play right after high school if I wanted to, or, but the originally the plan was at least go a year, then you could redshirt a year, play or come back to school. But see, this is where it's like, there's a lot to say who's your on in your corner. Who Do you have greedy people around you? Do you have like people that have your best interests at heart or not? And unfortunately at that time, uh, the coach that I had did not, he was very greedy. I like found out a lot later. I was like distraught. My dad's like almost dying and my mom doesn't know anything about the yeah. college stuff like this and that. And so I was really influenced by the coach, like nudging, like, Oh, you should go play. You should go play. So I did. And, and of course the, the San Diego state coach was furious with me because I backed out, but yeah. And I had a full ride, but I thought, Oh, I can play a year or two and then come back. I don't regret anything. Like it's made me who I am and the experiences, like I said, way more positive than negative. I mean, I got to travel and see the world and play tennis and it was great at times. It was horrible times, you know, it's a roller coaster. It's a hard lifestyle. Of course, it's not like I was traveling and a glamorous, like I wasn't top 10 in the world. I would train and then play a circuit, come back, train. And I did that for like two and a half years. The first year was awesome. Everything was new and exciting. Second year was a little tougher. I was still enjoying it. Third year, I hit a wall because again, there's a lot to be said with um, having a support system, the right people. It was really hard at the last year, especially I did everything on my own. Yes. The flight, the practice courts, the hotel, the picking the tournaments, just once you're there, the rental car, you name it, everything, trying to find courts to practice, trying to find people. A lot of people are not very nice. Like, it was just, it was really hard. I wish I'd had just a little more positive support that last year. And like the coach I'd had totally dropped me because he wasn't getting paid anymore. So it was obviously all about money because then he wouldn't even talk to me. So it was just, wow, this whole time, you know, it was just bad guidance. But in other ways, I said, I don't regret anything. However, I was definitely burnt out by that last year. And which is ironic because I was playing some of the best tennis of my life. That summer when I quit, to give an example, not that it's, it is what it is. Like, and I remember in practice, I was playing a circuit in the U.S. And this is practice, I get it. But I beat um, a player that had gone to UCLA like very easily. Then a month later, she's freaking in the third round of the U.S. Open. But I had quit because I, I was just so, yeah, pro- probably like depressed that last year. I don't know. Like everything just seemed overwhelming. It was just a lot. It's really hard, yeah. but it can be really cool. So I just, I'm like, I'm just going to, you know, go back to school. I'm not in the top 10 I've given it two and a half years or whatever it was, three years, whatever. And then I could have technically, I guess, played a year on mm-hmm. scholarship at San Diego State, but um, I was sober now because remember, mind you, I'm sh- I don't know if you experienced this, but when you really look at it, it basically been from 13 and at that point, 22 or whatever of your whole life, not whole life, but a big part of it. It's like you're training, you're constantly thinking about your tennis and this and that. And it's all about that. That's like your life focus or majority. I did have other things in my life, 
when I was traveling, I did take online classes. So it wasn't like I wasn't doing anything as far as education, but it's different. My focus was tennis and training and this and that and fitness. So it was like a big, yeah, it's a big shift. So I decided to just go back to school, but I had no desire to play, to see a racket, to see a court for like a year. But yeah, it was uh, quite the journey. Yeah. And then I went back to school to study business. But at that point, yeah, I didn't want to play like competitively. Yeah. I mean, it's super hard, right? Oh, and at that time, the rules were different. NCAA, like people like, oh, you should, you could play, like maybe you could play at Stanford, maybe this, because like all these people still thought highly of me and my plane, but I was like, the thought just did not even appeal and they're like oh you can appeal the rules you can appeal I was like this sounds like so much of a headache like at the time the rules were way different for every year you were out you lost your eligibility but I guess you could try and fight it now it's different now you can accept some of the travel money and whatever I made didn't not in any way equal out like what was spent so there's no way it wasn't like I was making a living off of it so that's kind of like lame to say that was professional because it was not to me you're making a living and that was just not even covering the expenses, whatever I accepted. But at that time, I'd have to do this lengthy process. And I, I just didn't want to do it. But that's why I didn't play in college. But yeah, I did have full rides at Division One schools after high school. It's a hard decision. I remember my, my I didn't want to go to U.S. to college either. And uh, I remember yeah. a lot of my friends at the time. So if you weren't good enough where everybody wasn't betting on you 100% there, you can make it. They were looking for the full ride scholarships. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll go try it for half a year. If I don't yeah. mind, I can always come back. But yeah. I remember the decision is super high. And also often what, what you mentioned, a lot of people don't realize the burnout or, or the the grit that you have to put every day or even just traveling the tournaments actually orchestration everything around it is the almost more tiring part than playing the themselves and if you have to travel by yourself uh it adds up so much not really stress but it's like mental drain of oh the ticket and the bus and the how do I get from I this get from there. here yeah like, where am I going to sleep yeah, the first year <laughs> to, like it was nice I found like someone that sometimes we'd split the fee for the hitting partner or like like when I went to Australia I split it with this other girl Elizabeth Coffee for a trip sometimes or I knew certain people were going that I'd finally befriended but it took a year and a half to befriend some people that I knew were going to go but right. even then you don't know if they're going they could flake on you but the first year were a little easier because of that. But then the last year was like literally all by myself. So, yeah. Yeah. And then it's also hard to, in a way I found on the tour to really find friends, friends. And oh, yeah. I think it's just the nature of it because you're competing. Very cutthroat. Yeah. And so you both are after the same thing. And then even if you find a real friendship, then you have to, if you have a like, draw, you have to play against the girl. It's so yeah. hard to eliminate emotions or it's like oh it's my girl but my friend but then you're supposed to play the same way like that that was always hard for me yeah same yeah but I experienced yeah that the traveling like people were not very nice like you said very cutthroat and I'm not expecting everybody to be like oh hi you know I'm not but it was a very yeah it was definitely a first like whoa maybe a little bit of a shock for me because I hadn't experienced that so much mm-hmm. i've experienced like cheaters and this and that in southern california tennis 
Um, but like, that was a whole other level of like, whoa, these people really don't give a bleep about like, wow, they're not very nice at all. Yeah. <laughs> like, just pretty bad. But not everyone. I did meet nice people. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it was far and few between as far as like trying to like people they feel like you could even practice with and work together a little bit, which to me, it's funny. It's like, you should be, I mean, we're all there to, everyone needs to practice. Everyone needs, it's just people are really, yeah, cutthroat. Yeah. Yes. You reminded me actually how hard it was to even find people to, to head with and yeah. Between yeah. And then we were traveling, you have to keep up your fitness and then like, but I mean, I would, I usually would do this, like a circuit of three tournaments, come back. Right. I wasn't traveling all the time. It wasn't like so luxurious. So sometimes I was home a month or two and then I'd go play again because it's I was yeah. on a budget, of course. But I mean, the, all in all, though, I definitely, yeah, learned a lot about myself, learned about just the world, just traveling, even like going to Turkey, going to different places, Poland, um, England, Spain, Portugal, Japan, Philippines. So, you know, it was definitely an eye-opening experience. It was also a very cool experience. And it was also a very tough experience. It was like, you know, it had everything pretty much yeah. of what you would expect to encounter when you travel like that. I did really enjoy going to a new country and, and learning about the culture. And that whole part was, to me, really um, a fun aspect of it. Yeah. Just expanding I... perspective and meeting other people from like that are not from the U.S. or not from... Cause you know, I was in, you know, in a bubble, like yeah. going up in San Diego, everything's like sunny and happy and great. Yeah. It's, like, it's a great city, San Diego. Yes. But, but, um, I mean, U S is a big country on its own. Yeah. So there's a lot of tournaments here, but um, the traveling around internationally is definitely the fun part. And I actually wonder how much that really shaped me wanting to have different friends or different cultures and traveling around the world. Cause I, I just love cultural yeah. shock. Like if, if someone tells me, Oh, let's go for a vacation here or even Hawaii. I was like, I love Hawaii. Hawaii yeah. is super fun, but that's too American. It's an, yeah. for me, vacation is vacation. When I go out to somewhere completely different experience, different people, different language, different food, and that's yeah. what I really enjoy, and I feel like I'm, I'm getting this uh, new experience. Um, exactly. Yeah, that's the part that was really exciting and fun for me. That I think that's why I kept going for a little longer than, like, instead of just doing it a year and a half, and you know, deciding. I decided after yeah, the, like two and a half years, whatever, and three years, I was like, okay, I just you know, I wasn't in the top ten, and then I wasn't. It was stressful, you know, you have to get sponsorship money and budget and it was just time. I didn't feel I wasn't, I was not happy either. So that's when I decided to go back to school, but I'm glad I tried it. I would have always wondered if I didn't. The only thing that always like in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, if I hadn't had like that influence, that coach, like kind of deciding when I was in a very like vulnerable space with my dad being sick, all this stuff. I wonder what would happen had I gone to San Jose State that first year and then then try to play, you know, that that's obviously the smarter route. But um, but also when my dad had the stroke in my head, I was like, wow, life is so short. Why don't I just go now? School's always there, which is true too. Yeah. So so there was no wrong answer. It's just it's just interesting. Different different experiences. 
But now I think um, the rules have changed a lot at the NCAA. Like players can accept more money and things like that. Yeah, I uh, and that's certainly positive. I also think tennis yeah. won, and also for sports, um, I think like the football, uh, right, and basketball, where they really drafted a big leagues, and I think partly a lot of those players do get some sort of advertisement because the schools do get a lot of money from those players who play. So I actually think that right. is super encouraging. Yeah, that's that's true. What about for you? How did you first start playing? Do you remember? Did your parents play? And uh, no, my dad played similar like yours. Just you sort of he picked it yeah. up. Yeah. Tennis was sort of I would say the noble type of sport in Czech. Like back in the day, especially when it was the communist era, not everybody was able to play tennis. Yeah. So I think after the revolution, my mom. It's been always like, I want to do what I couldn't do. So after that, they started going, making friends who actually, my mom had friends who played tennis. So how I started was uh, she just paid uh, one of of her friend's son, actually, who was also just self-taught. He would yeah. pick me up from my grandpa, grandma's and grandpa's house and we would bike over to the park to play tennis once a week. And uh, he would try to teach me. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, there was a yearly tournament in the city where I grew up in that I would play. And right before the tournament, uh, we actually went to Croatia. And Croatia, my mom decided to actually invest money. And there was a coach that I would play every day that week and so it was almost like a tennis boot camp and then I came back and my mom oh my god you train so hard you should be good and ready to win now Uh (laughs) I I, didn't win that tournament but uh, it kind of shows we totally didn't know what tennis is or any professional sport is or doing professional sports so we had to learn from the ground up to oh there are tournaments in our city and oh there are tournaments in the area where we live and then there are tournaments in the whole Czech Republic and then it grows to Europe and the world and you kind of get to understand the whole circuit and uh, right. how to train so it was all of that actually for us was a learning yeah it yeah. was uh, interesting how like you think back even like you do little tiny steps it seems like it's never something like I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a top tennis player. Right. I had it in my mind at some point. There was these little tiny steps that it just kind of evolved on its own. Exactly. Yeah, that was, you don't yeah. even know that it became a path even un- unknowingly sort of, right? You, you kind of did yeah. these little things over and over and suddenly, oh, okay, this is what I'm doing now every day. 365 yeah. days a year. It evolved into that, yeah. Uh, yeah, and of course there was, I enjoyed it because that's why I kept doing it. I wouldn't have done it, um, to you know, majority of it. Right. Yeah, and it was like you said, it's like the local tournaments turn into like, oh, Southern California tournaments, sanctioned tournaments. Remember, it was one big breakthrough in a tournament. I was like 13 and a half. And then I was top 15 in Southern California. And all of a sudden, like, oh, you can go to super nationals, the national tournaments. Yeah. I was like, oh, cool. I want to do that. And <laughs> Zonals and oh my gosh oh do you know uh big bang theory yes i love big bang so theory. okay do you know kaylee cuoco the actress mm-hmm. she's in that one 
she was on my zonal team in Delray Beach, Florida. I this is before she obviously was. It was just funny. Yeah, she was on my zonal team because every section, like Southern California, yeah. Texas, like has a, co- a team competition yeah. when you're a junior. There's this uh, event called zonals, and um, I was for the girls' fourteen zonals at that time. I got invited to go, which is like I guess a big deal. I went to Delray Beach, Florida, and then she was on my team. Wow, <laughs> she's like what a small world. And then I think I played her once, one time in, um, I don't know if I was 14 or whatever. And then I think after that, she quit tennis. She quit because I beat her. So no, I'm kidding. No, no, no. But I remember I did play her and I did beat her, but, um, no, I remember she was, she was going to audition. She was like trying to act because I, I didn't know, know her, but I knew her through people or whatever. Yeah. And it's just such a small world. But then, yeah, she quit tennis and then became a big time actress, but good for her. Wow. But, um, it's just wow. like weird. Trivia. The acting was a better choice for her, so that's great. So yeah, it sounds it seems like it really paid off with the yeah. <laughs> success. What is Zonal actually? What is that? Zonal, so it's a team competition. They had different sections, went to different um played against other sections. So like Southern California, the whole thing, they picked a few players who represent Southern California for mm-hmm. that age division, and then you play against other sections of the country. Nice. other other states basically nice. so it's like a big team thing and yeah it was pretty fun but yeah like all of a sudden I did that and then all of a sudden it was like what you were saying one thing led to another and then yeah it really probably wasn't until I was then 15 going to my school like oh wow yeah that's a good goal like yeah getting a school ride like that became kind of the goal along the way it sounded good. I'm like, Oh, well, yeah. And I enjoy playing. Why not? Yeah. And, and that was the goal for like three years yeah. to get a full ride. It's interesting reminiscing, but yeah. So for you, same thing, right? You play tournaments and then did you ever play ITF junior tournaments? Yeah. I played the, so there was the ETA, right? The ETA are 14, the European Tennis Association. They're 14 and 16 and under, I believe as well. But then the ITFs, I played the 18 and under, um, maybe since I was even 15, 16. Yeah. And then right at a time, I think at a similar point, I started playing the women's uh, circuit, maybe 17. 18 yeah from 17 to around 20 and then there was sort of the breaking point of like how much longer do yeah. I play and like the odds of making it right? yeah very slim I, I wanted to continue playing actually but then my mom was more well just try it out you can always come back so I was prepared to come to the U.S. and only for six months yeah. And then I stepped through the first six months and then I was like, okay, I'm going to go back, finish the, the first year. And uh, I actually did really good my freshman year. So I ended up getting to nationals. I played at Stanford. I believe I finished around top 40, division one. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that obviously doing great really encouraged me to, to stay. I was like, well, what, what is next? Uh, what if I just stay and continue? It was actually quite appealing to me. Like in college, I think yeah. in a way I lost the stress of the money and the funding. Cause yeah, I, just have to, I just have to train. I have coaches and they train. In a way it's easier. It's set up for you. Yeah. That's what I remember a lot. Now that you bring that up, 
the first year I wasn't year and a half, I, that didn't cross my mind though. I knew it was there, but it wasn't hitting me. It was right. the, the end of that second year when money started coming up like budget and like, this is how much is being spent. Like how much longer is it going to take for you to make money? It's like, Whoa. Then I started really feeling the stress that third year. It's really hard. I think the money, the obligation it's, I, I've, I think for me personally was the hardest. And if I even now like realize, Oh my God, how much money did my tennis cost? I feel like well, me too. Looking back, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not sure why my parents paid for it. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, oh my gosh, all that. But uh, obviously, they they saw something in me that they wanted to give me that opportunity. But uh, it's crazy how expensive it is. And often people don't realize actually the tennis and the expense. I think one is the coaching, and another one is the travel. I think that what drives most the money and the budget, right? Because in good, the more tournaments you play the better off you are because you have more chances of getting more points. Yeah. It is contingent on your sponsorship, your money, your backing right. to a big degree. But yeah, it's like the same. I think my dad, he grew up super poor in Indiana, like never played tennis, was in the Navy to help pay for some college. And then once his GI bill ran out, he had a, he was studying communications and his story is pretty cool. It was pretty inspiring. Um, but to me, as far as like putting the hard work, because he was always all about like, oh, you put the time in, you get the reward. Like he was all like a hard worker mentality, old school. He thought communication was so cool. Like he wanted to be an announcer and all that stuff. And so he slowly worked his way up in LA. Like he knew nothing. He got fired from his first job. Like he did a horrible job announcing like a football game. And then like um, he slowly got experience. And eventually he was like, a. I remember when I was little, I didn't get what he was saying until later. I'm like, oh, that's what he meant. Because, you know, when you're eight, nine, he's telling you these things. I'm like, he's like, oh, yeah. And then I was a disc jockey in, in Hollywood. And I was like, okay, whatever, dad. Like, and then later when I was probably like, wait, disc jockey? You mean DJ? Because, <laughs> like, before <laughs> it was like the radio, you know, the, the disc jockey actually played the record. Um, so he was a disc jockey apparently in Hollywood or LA for a while. And then um, I guess at some point he slowly worked his way into the marketing side of radio. Like, he got into radio and television. He, at one point, did like a ad lib like kind of like now the evening talk show you know like they talk ad lib like in the moment spur of the moment talking to people passing by he had like some kind of show like that with where he was just like talking um to random people and ad living and just making interesting conversations with random people on the sh- on the street that he ran into and then he got into so radio television was his like passion communications then he eventually got into the, the you know you move up and you got to realize oh the there's a lot of money in this I think it was just a natural progression. I think he liked still being on the air, but I don't know if it was just because he was married and had a family. Yeah. Not not us. He he was married before also. Um, he got into the, like the sales part, the marketing and sales part of like a radio station. And um, so he would sell air airtime and that was like a big deal back then. What I guess yeah. the equivalent of the equivalent of now online, the ads and the banners and whatever, all that kind of stuff. But at that time, that was like a big money maker. So he did sales and marketing. And then, um, then eventually he managed a radio station or two. And then eventually he owned a few radio stations. So he really wow. worked his way up and yeah, but yeah his, his big passion was radio and television and communications and broadcasting. But anyway, so I knew him later, like he's now at that point retired when I, you know, he came into our love. So, but he would talk about it all the time. And I think to him, because I was doing well in school, he, he always, 
I guess didn't do well in school because he had a lot of responsibility. He had to work and he was just like super excited that I was doing well in tennis because, you know, he never had that opportunity when he was playing when he was young. And so I guess he really supported it. He saw that I was putting the time in. That's why he was supportive of it and working towards it. Actually, chatting yesterday with a couple of our friends, like the self-drive, right? Going back to in the beginning, what you mentioned, like you've always had that in you. And I resonate with that. Ever since I was a kid, I remember not the want of winning, but it was the fear of losing and being worst instead yeah. of being last. Uh, yeah. I don't know if that's a positive, but that really fuels me. I just hate sucking. I, like, I hated I hate it too. I'd like, I'd, yeah, hated that more than, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just, this weekend, we were watching the CrossFit Games, and uh, obviously, oh, wow. it's the fittest on earth. Although this year, they're very small because of COVID. So I believe there's only wow. six people, a man, woman competing, but mm-hmm. they're still crazy fit. So it was the one thing that Rich Froning, pretty much, there was a clip, and he was saying, I just, I'm not sure if I like winning as much as I hate losing. Yeah. Oh, that's it. That <laughs> yeah, I hated losing. I just hate losing. I always feel like going back to tennis, that if I was better at losing, I could have been a better tennis player. And uh, like, that's something that I have in my mind, like when I go back, because in tennis, You really, I mean, mostly, unless you're top, 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 and until you get to the top, you typically lose more than you like. Yeah. And you make a lot of unforced errors. You're going back to mental toughness, and, and you have so much time to be on the court with yourself and your own thoughts. Yeah. So the amount of energy and the mindfulness you need to influence your thoughts. I was like, oh, I missed this ball. What am I going to do to not do the same mistake? That's number one. But then how do you going to gain the courage and just the positive mindset to actually still trust in yourself that you can make the next point? And that's on right. the scale, right? Then then you scale it up. It's a right. I've always been my worst mental enemy and and like I wonder the the fear of losing yeah what what really drove me to work hard I always been a workhorse and I put in the effort and training but the competition is something that always made me nervous were you a natural competitor or how were you training for me I played better in tournaments so I guess I was I mean it didn't just happen suddenly I think it was I was lucky to have had some training like the mental toughness like I remember this guy coming to the club that I was and talked about mental toughness and things you can do. So I think in that sense, like I had some tools I'm not saying I was great, but I really did like the, yeah, I feel like I played better. Usually I wasn't perfect. Like I'm sure I still choked here and there, but overall though, I, I tended to play better in tournaments than practice, like as far as matches. So I guess I learned some strategies, but um, I, I had a big influence with, my again my dad and like um just being reminded that you don't need two enemies on the court like you already have an opponent you don't need two opponents he um was really big on like mantras and talking to yourself and the mental side of things so I learned some of that from my dad learned some from other coaches that I was lucky enough to hear oh wow like take your time you need to breathe and walk back little things that added up to helping me refocus when I would be off I'm like trying to think back. I don't think I ever really lost, totally lost it 
during matches as far as getting upset. You were but I think that, that came with time, though. I think that was because, like, I played a lot of matches in practice where I did and maybe was had an attitude and, you know, called out on it. What are you doing? Like, you're, you're, when you react like that, they, they love it. Like, your opponent loves it. And being told by coaches um, in practice, hey, like, that's not helping you and, and giving tips, but it's, there's a, the whole mental side. I mean, that's everything. It's yeah. a big part of it. So being able to, I remember at one point, someone came in was talking about visualizations to me. That was like mind blowing. I'm like, what? That was like a, a game changer. Right. So then I started visualizing. I remember, I think it was when I was 16 or something like play the whole first set in your head. I was like, what? Like, no, like the night before or something or that morning. I'm like, no, like, so I, I started slowly like starting with a few points or a game in your head already play it. You have to be able to visualize it. And then it became like applying it. Okay. Visualize where you're going to serve before you bounce. Like as you're bouncing, visualize it. So you already do it twice. In your head, you have an idea and then you serve it. There's a lot to it, the mind. Yes. Keeping it on course, re- redirecting it, not letting yourself blow up at your, at your own self because you have high expectations of yourself because you want to do well. It's just it's a whole other world, the mental side. I actually think for me, the mental tough, or the mental, I don't know, toughness, I, I guess I consider myself tough, but it was, I, I guess who doesn't? <laughs> Right. I, know, I think right? everybody does in a way, but um, the mental more of control was the yeah. hardest thing for me, like cultivating the trust and believing myself. That was and, hard for me too. Like, that was I, I do still remember you've always had this calmness about you. Like even when, when I met you, I don't know, maybe you really practice this. When I go back to your story, you really seem to be a natural competitor because if you go back to... Like, what have you started? You seem like, oh, this is just really fun. I'm enjoying the game. I'm not yeah. here to win. I just, I just really kind of like being in it and hitting the ball. Like, yeah, I yeah. really did. And then I, I remember even when I met you, we played doubles. And even now, like, you super seem like optimist and very calm about things. Like, whatever stories you tell me with your crazy yeah. roommates or anything. Oh, yeah. You know what happened? Uh, I'll just move on, and I might as well stress over it anymore. Uh, yeah. Do you feel like that's an attitude you've kind of had, or because of the training? Uh, you're, I think you're- it is because of the conditioning. Like no joke. Because I, I mean, I just specifically remember, like, I don't know which coach. Again, it's all I did take from different coaches, or was around different coaches that were some very good coaches, like. At one point, I was lucky enough to go for like a week to the Everett's Academy and got really good coaching by like top collegiate coach Andy Brandy. And like I was on the court with Chris Everett when one day she came to practice and gave tips or her brother, you know, went to Saddlebrook and uh, for two weeks decided my dad's like, well, if you see how you like this training, it's going to be tough. If you can, is this something you want to do, like then I'll support it. But I think he wanted me to get exposed and see like, is this something you really want to do, kid? It's going to take a lot of time and practice and what was I getting at with the calmness and stuff? Yeah. I just remember all the coaches saying like, look, the best players, they lose points and they just move on to the next point. They, So it was almost like, I feel like in some ways it was not healthy coping because then if you apply to too many things, it's not healthy. Cause then you don't, you don't feel what you're supposed to feel like in life or you like compartmentalize too much. But I remember it was, I got really good at, okay, I missed that. Let's next point. Okay. And then breathe. And then like, like get grounded and like stay in the moment. So it's like, that was gone. 
I wasn't always good at that, but I at some point got pretty good at just like moving on. I'm like, have a tip that works for you. I feel like I've practiced it really hard and definitely got got uh, better. But yeah. I to this point, like I'm working on meditation now for about two and a half years. But I wow. still don't think I have the calmness at all situations that I would like to to have. I even try to set intentions, and sometimes I get this crazy anger that just like, oh my god, and why am I angry? Because I know it's just hurting me. Like being angry, right. it's no one else, but I'm suffering. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, yeah. For me, it was always coping. I'm sure you can really, I think you can really, it was like, if something was upsetting or whatever, I'd go work out. Yeah, that's what I did. And then I always felt yeah. better after working out. Like if some, right. I was sad or something or mad, I remember I'd go do like an interval. But I mean, now you're, you can't always like push yourself like that. That's the thing. Yeah. But I remember I, that was my go-to was like music. So music mm-hmm. was a huge mood boost, of course, and yeah. as, for everybody yeah. can relate to music. Music's always there listening to music, working out, getting a good sweat. And then I'd always feel better. I mean, that was my way of coping with when I'd be angry or things like that. But if you're talking about on the court, I mean, again, I wasn't always perfect, but I I do remember the biggest tips I think were helpful for me were the obvious, like slow down. Cause the most common thing is you rush and then you could do more errors and you get more mad. It's this downward spiral that it's hard to reverse once you're really in it. So for me, I think a big um, breakthrough was when I learned to slow down in a match, just literally in between points, slowing down if I missed a shot, slowing down if I'm winning, because sometimes I'd rush. I remember one time I was up 4-0 and like lost the match, and it was just like, what just happened? And I was so upset. But though it took those times losing like that to really learn how to handle it better and to dive into it to see what a good solution would be. So for me, it was slowing down. And more specifically, breathing, taking deep breaths. That's what I remember a constant that several coaches would tell me. I'm like, what is this? What's up with this like breathing? And they're telling me to breathe. Like what? Because to me, it's just like, huh? But then, yeah, it's like, take a deep breath. Take, take three deep breaths or whatever. And then, so I started doing that one match. I'm like, like, as I was bouncing the ball and then like, I'm like, okay, I'm more calm. The other one, my go-to would be if I missed the point, I'd walk back to the fence and play with my strings. But as I was doing that, it was to take a few deep breaths mm-hmm. to slow down my nervous system or just slow down. I know it's like so simple, but that was huge for me. Just like literally taking the time to walk back, take a few deep breaths, reset. Then the, I would say the other big, big one was one time when a, a sports psychologist had come to talk or something like that. Another one was the visualizations. Like we're talking about actually seeing yourself before your match. This is like before you even play the match. I would do this, like sometimes just sit and then envision how I'd be serving, how I'd be returning. That was a big, I think, game changer too. Um, I actually did that, the visualizations. And then I, you come up with your rituals, you know, all tennis players can be quirky. You have your ritual, what you would yeah. do. So that was like the string thing and the breathing. I had my specific, you know, I always only bounce the ball three times when I serve. Mm-hmm. Those were calming rituals because you feel in control. <laughs> But yeah, what else to um, calm, going back to the sports psychologist, everyone knows this now, but to me, that was like a big, like, oh, wow, that's profound at the time. Cause I was like 14 or 15, just like focus on, on the process, not the outcome. 
And I was like, oh, who's this lady? I was like, oh, what? And then when she went to it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because that was when I was starting to get too uptight about winning and losing. That was when it, I first realized like what choking was. And then I was having an issue with that for a little bit. And then that helped me overcome it. Then when I, you still get nervous. So it's not that you don't feel the butterflies or the nerves, but it's in spite of that, you're able to, to direct your thoughts to, instead of like, oh, wow, this is a big point. It's game point. And if I win this, I go up five, four, where I win the match. My thinking shifted to, I mean, it's obvious stuff, but I didn't, I didn't know I was automatically going into like, oh my God, if I win this point, I was, I would catch myself. The more you become aware, the more you like start catching yourself. Instead of saying that to myself, it became, okay, if I get a forehand, I'm going to hit this return middle. Or if I get this backhand, I'm going to go cross court. So you focus on the process and that helped me so like that was another big breakthrough, even though it's again, simple. It's like, duh, common sense. But if you don't know, you know, you get in an automatic mode when you're playing a match and you get so tight about winning you because you really care you put all this time in you it, if I didn't care then I wouldn't get tight but it's finding the tools and the a way to to um, channel all of this energy you have and that was like the biggest thing is learning how to channel my anger learning how to channel my thoughts or redirect them because you can't fully you don't fully control your thoughts but you can redirect them you can re refocus and that was like huge I think for me I mean, for anyone, right? But yeah. I, when I started doing, being able to do that in matches, I felt so much like a liberation, almost like, oh my gosh, I don't feel this horrible, icky feeling because like I'm choking or, or if I did, I could brush it off. Like, okay, next point it happened. Slowly over time, I was able to brush things off a little. It took practice. Like you said, it, it's practice. Right. Doing it over and over again. And yeah, because I, I do remember the last few years of juniors, I played a lot of sets, practice matches. And it's surprising now to see like how many juniors don't even play match practice matches. Like they train hard, but nothing substitutes playing a set because that's yeah. what you're going to do in a tournament. And I remember that's what helped me too, is just, I literally played lots of sets during the week, but yeah, it's not easy. It's hard. Yeah. It was easy than everybody would win. What tools helped you? Do you remember some like stuff like that? Like tips? Yeah, I, I think going I have- down combination of all of you I, I left the slowing down and wrote it down because I don't know if I necessarily someone told me to slow down I had a similar although slowing down it's something actually I'm practicing even now as I get older because I know I can go in such a speed and I, I can see kind of path and things evolving and I well, have to admit me too I, I tend to get caught up in the moment and I got to slow down I have to remind myself because I have that habit too yeah, I love the speed, like the speed and pace gives me energy and just excitement. Right. Yeah, it's exciting. So the slowing yeah. down is actually something I practice a lot now. I had my breathing rituals for sure. I had yeah. just walk around the court. Sometimes when I felt like really I needed more time, you hit the ball like off and you have to walk (laughs) (laughs) to get more time. But it's definitely, I I agree with you. The big game changer was, and I probably learned it the best in in college when I was my first year. I I felt like the difference of having back at the time, coach Vassmer, that he was uh, our German coach. He wasn't with me the full first year, but he really knew how to talk to me something has changed in college I felt like having the coach on being able to be there on the court during those changeovers it really 
helped me understand my thoughts that I'm having that are not productive because he was right. He was more yeah, having someone being able to be a mirror and yeah. be a mirror and call you out yeah. when it's happening because it's different yeah. when it's after like okay, great, thanks, but. So that was really helpful uh, during the matches that allowed me to kind of see the difference. I still remember it's like this narrative and I'm trying to figure out, well, I've learned a lot through tennis and I'm taking everything I've learned in tennis into my life now. And I feel like going back to your basics, the process, like don't focus on the outcome, focus on the process. And yeah. the, the narrative, the story you have in your head is what's going to evolve and play out, right? So you can connect yeah. to visualization or anything. But the tennis, what I love about tennis, it's so black and white. And this is a perfect test I've done so many times and all of tennis players probably done it. But you huh. stand on the baseline, the, the surf is the only thing you have full control over because there is right. no interruption. And right. you stand there right before you uh, surf and then you have a thought that says, holy cow, just don't double fold. And then 99% of the time, you will double fold when you have yeah. the thought. So the thought of that is like, how do I control my thoughts to right. not have this thought, number one? It's rewiring. It's completely rewiring. Yeah. It's so hard. But, yeah, the two is that if, if this happens, how do I, to your point, rewire it to think yeah. about it better? Well, whatever devil fault, forget it, erase it from the memory that the thought was ever there. And um, what do I have to focus on? What steps do I have to focus on? And how do you break down the movement? So I actually hit the surf I want to hit where yeah, I want you have to, to focus. Yeah. Like, so, like focusing, you're better off thinking about, oh, keep my left arm up or my right elbow up than thinking, oh, do right. double fault. Like something yeah. else. It's the transfer motion, toss, elbow, like everyone has their legs. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something. And the second big thing, and I don't know how I got this, if it was Coach Westmer as well or someone else, was I used to get super tense. I was like, I, I think there's people who are more uh, natural competitors. I actually think you're more natural competitor. <laughs> For me, I was a natural yeah. trainer. I could run right. on the court and train hard for eight hours. But once you put me in the match, I just get stressed and tense. So I had to learn a lot how to get loose and just yeah. get tight and actually play the game. I played so much better in practice than I ever played in the match. Like I was oh, wow. just trying to focus in the match to play as good as I could mm -hmm. as I played in practice. That was my goal, just to do the same thing as I when I play practice. And uh, the thought of actually enjoying the moment that is stressful, like rewiring my brain to how do I enjoy this moment? Yeah, you, re you have to reframe it, right? right. The word, like, like the, what a fun challenge instead of like, yeah. this is stressful. It's, it's exactly. a challenge. But I think the <laughs> challenge is like, that's the exciting thing. So if you, yeah. like, what really helped me is, well, match point or set point or break point this is the point I practiced my whole life for, right? So if you rewire it in a way, those critical moments are the moments that you're actually looking forward to and are excited about. That point that really gave me a power to reframe my thoughts and play well. Like that's when I, oh my God, this is like the point that I'm super excited. And then I yeah. hit the surf that I needed to win in order to get back to dues or 
to win the game and kind of move on, right? Yeah, and then the, yeah, like what you said, where you tell yourself the story, you tell yourself in that moment. I remember I didn't understand what coach was saying. Like, you just need to be more confident. I'm like, well, that's so unhelpful. Like, like looking back, I'm like, there were so many coaches that were like, so it's just so general and broad that like, I get that they're trying to help. But I'm like, that was like more confusing. You just saying that. So then in my head, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm not confident then. That's what they're saying. So like, it became a complex. And it's more about like focusing on, wow, I put the time in, like reframing like I practiced that can allow me to be confident when I step on the court goes back to what you just said that it's a lot about how coaches talk to you and knowing the right words and how to frame things because it can be completely change everything like in your own head there's a lot to be said about that about just the language used and um what can build the player's confidence or destroy it finding Um, coaches and the right coach the right fit yeah the right fit that you mesh and because some people it's true we're all different like I did like to be pushed. I, I enjoyed that. Like I needed that. If the coach was too calm, it was, which is funny. Cause you said like, Oh, you're so calm. But, but yeah, like I, I was very, I guess maybe internally fired up. I don't know. I enjoyed the challenge. I like being pushed. I like the coach that yelled, not being mean. You know, there were, like I said, I had some bad experiences, like, like flat out mean bully, like not cool coaches, but, um, but the coaches that were like, you knew they were, they wanted you to do well and they were pushing you like in a drill, like, come on, let's go, come on, get it. Like, come on. But I, I like that being pushed. Right. Some players didn't. Some players probably hate that. We're all so different. I agree. It's very important, the, the fit. How do you find the right coach, though? I, I think. That's do you have trial a, and error. Huh? Through me, That's it's been trial and error, really. I don't know if yeah. there's a way. Like, I wish there was something for coaches. Oh, this is, and maybe I, there is now. Ooh, we know. should do that. If there isn't that, we should have a platform that takes the coaches, their personality style, their, their, um, yeah, their communication style, everything, and then puts it into a category. Maybe that, that'd be cool. Yeah, that would be super interesting. That would be really interesting to do even just an experiment with that. I feel like in some ways, the, the tennis and everything, because you're constantly trying to adapt your strategy, all this stuff, like, you do critically think and you do adapt more easily in some ways, in some areas of life. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. I think the change is pretty big. Like, uh, maybe this is something I would like to test through my uh, interviews. I, I think in tennis, you really learn that nothing in constant. You have right. to work Concentrate. every single point. Every like something that worked point. in a point, this point or this game. Oh shoot! Now his forehands or her forehands on, or now now wait now she's making her backhand. Now I have to come up with a different strategy. Yeah, yeah. So I think there is a lot that you build in understanding change, understanding that there's nothing lasts forever, and then and then the grit that goes with it that you have to continuously work and improve to either stay where you at or get better because that's the goal you're chasing. So I think that definitely had a big influence on me and I have it now even in business. Although I like I often wonder, is it because I have had so much in tennis I can't almost tone it down? Like I can get very much into extremes. Like I wonder if that constant improvement. Because you do become obsessed. You kind of have to to be good. You do become obsessive to a degree with everything. Yeah. The single-minded focus, right, that you have 
for 15 years or however long you play? Like, uh-huh. how do you then quit it and translate it to something else? Like, in, in some ways, like, I was similar like you. I was so fed up when I finished, you know, tennis and I went through all of my five stages of grief. Um, right. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, when I was done. But now it's like, well, what am I going to do now? And how am I? Everything I've learned, because I think tennis has taught me everything I know about my life. How do I take what I've learned and use it in a positive way now in sort of my second career? Yeah. How, how do I materialize uh, on the trends and learn from the mistakes I may have done before so I don't repeat the same ones over and over? Right. So, yeah, a lot about just life. I mean, just right. We said the like strategy, like that can be applied to anything in life, The you're constantly being aware, noticing patterns, making adjustments, constant yeah. adjustments, recalibrating, refocusing. It's like everything. And then you have to let it go. Cause it's the next point. That point's gone. It's just like life. Like you can't get that moment back. It's right. gone. It's life. So there's just so much that it's a microcosm to life in a way, but the game and the court. Yeah, actually, the last sentence you just said, I think, totally describes my life and just my my mindset. It's funny, I I haven't realized, I I don't know if I was born with it, or did tennis shape us that way? That's the bigger question. You become a good tennis player because you have that mindset sort of from when you're young, but you don't realize it. Or does that mindset get trained by the hours and years of repetition and, and just the game, playing the game? I guess it's both. Yeah, I agree. Someone needs to see the talent in you, right? And in order to just become good and be interested in it, you need to be able to sustain that from from the beginning, which is a lot of technique and coordination. Yeah. I think in some ways to even be interested in the game, you must have it to some degree. Coordination. As you train it, you improve in things. Exactly building habits, repetition, and building good habits. Yeah, basically you condition it. Yeah, you build the habits. It is true, though. That's the one constant in life, right? Right. Everything's always changing. Nothing's Uh, ever staying the same. I remember my dad saying that all the time when I was little. I remember my dad saying all the time when I was like 10, 11. I'm like, what is he saying? He's like, you know, the only constant in life is change. and Because he he later in life did... um, study a lot of metaphysics and all sorts of stuff. And um, I would just look at him like, huh? Cause I was like 10, 11, like it's my dad saying, okay, whatever. But then later, like a year or two or three or four, pop my head like, Oh, he was right. The only constant in life is change. Like I remember that from like really early him telling me all this. Okay. (laughs) When you go on step on the court, you want to be able to look yourself in the mirror and be happy with yourself. If you tried your best, that's all you can do. Cause I think I was like maybe driving a coach crazy about how obsessive I was getting. I'd get really affected if I lost. Like this is when I was having right. probably issues with losing or who knows. And I just remember like, cause I was just, I, would, I was starting to get too obsessed about uptight or whatever. And, and then that, then I started just reminding myself that I'm like, okay, he's right. Like, I'm just like the next turn I play, like, I'm just going to try my best and just like, that's all I can do. I can't be mad at myself. And then I remember another, another tactic, which, I think a lot of people use now only allowing yourself 30 minutes. You're, you're allowed to be upset with yourself. But after that, that's like your time limit. Then you need to move on. 
Yes. Because it's not going to help you to wallow the whole freaking day because you lost. Right. Like I had to learn to do that because I remember I would, the rest of the day I was like sad. After let's say a bad, bad loss in a tournament, yeah. junior tournament, I was like upset the whole day. Yeah. Oh, and finally until the coach was like, look, you can be mad, but after like 30 minutes or whatever, I came up with like, that's it. Move on. I agree that the focusing on the process and not the outcome, really yeah. just doing your best. All I want to do is go on the court and just do my best. All I can ask from myself is to do the same as in practice. Because that's kind of what you train for, right? If I do the same thing as in practice, that would be a success. So that definitely helped like anchoring or putting exactly that's how I felt into what I should look like. Yeah. And I also uh, actually one of the tips that was sort of weird to me at the beginning, I remember, but really powerful at the end was giving my opponent a credit. Oh, there's certain very good. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. That that was a big. That took so much yeah. pressure off me. Yeah, uh, that was another. I don't remember which coach. It was several, but yes, exactly. That was a that really changed things because then you're you're like, oh, okay, they did hit a good shot. It changes the whole vibe. That's a big one. So there's few points like that that you can influence, right? And you were like, well, that was excellent, and I couldn't get it no matter what I would have done. Just let it go yeah. and move on. So that was very freeing, actually, when I, re- when I yes. put that into practice and I understood that there is some level of just freedom and separating myself because that's not yeah. my control. Yeah, I know that. What you just said, like, really resonates with me. I remember that being a big help when I was playing tournaments and putting that into practice. I, I think we already covered that, but my dad, I remember saying, like, you don't need two opponents out there. Like, because one time I think I was getting mad and he's like, you already have one opponent across the net. If you get mad at yourself, now you now you have two opponents. That's tougher. I was like, oh, shoot, he's right. Yeah, I'm not going to get mad at myself anymore on the court. That's stupid. Sometimes yeah. it's very just normal and logical things. But when sometimes someone says them out loud, uh, yeah. it just drills deeper down in your consciousness. Yeah, because, again, all this stuff we go, it's like, oh, duh, breathe, this, that. But. Again, when you're in the moment, you're playing and the, your adrenaline's going, it's easy to rush. It's easy to skip over a lot of things. And yeah. It's just natural. Human nature. Thanks for the chat. Yeah, thank you. We'll talk soon again.